Good morning, Northbrook. If you'd like to uh, open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to continue the series that we started a couple of months ago on uh, called the In the Eyes of the Father, of learning of who God is, what He's done for us in salvation, and particularly how that has uh, changed our relationship with Him and how He views us. This morning we're going to be looking at the spiritual gifts, and that's why we're starting in 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are um, Paul's most clear teaching on the, the gifts, the spiritual gifts, um, and uh, they, they all tie together. A lot of people see chapter 13 as something separate from 12 and 14, but they all just link. It just flows from one to the other, all three chapters. And I want to look kind of generally this morning at uh, what God intended for us as His children uh, and, and as His church, as His family, in relation to the spiritual gifts. And I want to welcome our, our guests. I know Scott already did that, but... Um, folks who are here from the response teams. Some of them aren't here right now. Um, I guess they decided to visit a different church instead of us. You know, it's kind of kind of rude, but uh, no, I'm glad you guys are here. The Oklahoma folks I haven't met yet, so hopefully I can touch base with you afterwards. I know you're from Oklahoma because of your shirt. It's on the back of it, so I knew that. But we've got the Ohio folks, and there's an Illinois guy back there, and uh, he probably follows the Chicago Bears which is the right colors, but the wrong location. Denver Broncos are blue and orange too, if you want to come over to the, to the right side of the force and uh, come to know Jesus, you'll be a Broncos fan. But I'm glad you guys are here, and um, there's going to be more teams coming in, so if you see cars and things in the parking lot, they're staying here in the classrooms, basically the old wing of the church. They've inhabited that, so I'm thankful for them, and God is opening doors, so let's uh, continue to pray that that bears fruit. We're going to read uh, verses, um, starting in verse 4, and we're going to read down through verse 31. I'll read out loud, and as usual, you can follow along as I read 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 31. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's Paul's purpose statement for what the gifts are about. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, 
Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, that's the bowels. I promise you we talk about the bowels. He's talking about it right there. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let us consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Don't you just love Christmas? I love Christmas. It's really my favorite time of the year. Um, and, and according to the song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Now that that is stuck in your head, for those of you who know that song, again, you can thank me later. But whether a, a person is a believer celebrating the birth of Jesus or an unbeliever who rejects the virgin-born Son of God, Christmas seems to be a magical time of the year for many. If you watch Hallmark, they back into the Christmas section for the summer just because you couldn't get enough Christmas. So you got your Hallmark at Christmas, you got your Hallmark in summer, and in a month or so, Christmas songs are going to start playing in the stores, and we're right back into it. So we're keeping the Christmas spirit all year long that way. But if you're like me, you love the lights. I love to see the Christmas lights out. I love the decorations. Um, I love the bows that are on everything, uh, and I love the presents. And the, the giving of gifts is central to the holiday. For right reasons, you're wrong. It's central to the holiday. 
as we celebrate the ones we love and the relationships we enjoy. As adults, we enjoy seeing the happiness our gifts bring to other people. And as children, we love getting the things that we've always wanted. It's called selfishness, but it sounds better the other way. But I wonder how many times as a child you had the experience that I have had, where you see that box underneath the tree. It's wrapped all in that really nice paper. It's got the bow on it. It's got a name tag. It's your name. You aren't allowed to pick it up. You aren't allowed to shake it, but it's there. But that box is just the size of the thing that you know will make your heart most happy. All right, and that, that's called idolatry, just so you know. But, but it's just all that box there, that's it. And, and there's that anticipation of Christmas Day when that box is handed to you and you know it's going to make you the most happiest, the, the happiest kid in the world. And the excitement is overwhelming. You've seen these videos on YouTube and stuff of these kids that are just going nuts with, with the anticipation. It's overwhelming as you tear off the paper and you open the box and you got new clothes and probably new underwear. And it's just like, why did you get me clothes? I, you know, kids don't want clothes, but that's what's in them. And there's that disappointment that sets in. Or maybe you did get that present that you were hoping for. Your parents actually did buy you that one thing you wanted. And you pull it out and, and you get to playing with it and you find out that that fancy new lightsaber was nothing more than a flashlight with a long colored cone on the end of it and it could not help you deal with your bratty younger brother or sister. It's just a flashlight. And there's the letdown either way. Either the letdown and disappointment that the toy was overhyped on TV and can't do any of the things that it says it does or you got clothes. And you know, as I was thinking about the, the spiritual gifts, I got to thinking that as Christians, I wonder how often we view the gifts in a similar way as we view Christmas presents. Somewhere along the line, we, we hear about the gifts, depending on the church you're in. Uh, the churches I grew up in, the Holy Spirit was whispered about. You know, he was that crazy weird uncle that showed up at the family gatherings, but nobody really wanted to be around him because who knows what's going to happen if you start hanging out with him. You know, that kind of a thing. He, he's, he's a little bit wild. He's, he's uncontrollable. And, and all those people who talk about the Holy Spirit, well, they're off out there running around doing really crazy things. And, and the only example of people who really bought into the Holy Spirit were the ones on television, all those televangelist guys, you know, they were a little strange. So we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. It just wasn't brought up. And, and the gifts, they didn't talk about the gifts at all. I didn't hear about really the gifts of the Spirit until I got into, um, I got up to Wisconsin and then uh, it was talked about from time to time. But still, it, it was kind of suppressed. But maybe you remember when you first heard about the spiritual gifts. You came to know Christ Somebody started talking about spiritual gifts, or maybe you grew up in a place where that was a big emphasis. Holy Spirit was a big emphasis, and the gifts were a big emphasis. 
and, and your mind starts to run, uh, run as, you, as you go through the lists of the passages of gifts. And you start to wonder, which gift am I going to get? I like Christmas. Which one am I going to get? Maybe prophecy. Prophecy would be fun. I can, I can tell everybody what's going to be happening. Or maybe healing. It would be really cool to be able to fix people's bodies and get all those sicknesses and things to go away. And of course, you got to have the trendy new one. You know, you got to have tongues. Everybody's got to have that trendy one. It's splashy. You don't want to be without the gift of tongues. I mean, it would be embarrassing if you're the only one on the block who doesn't have tongues. And, and then what would the neighbors think if you don't have that? So you kind of... You kind of want the gift of tongues. And maybe eventually you took one of those spiritual gifts tests. How many people here have done that? I've done it. I'll admit it. So how many of you have done that? A few of you. I've taken a spiritual gifts test three times. Every single time I had a different gift. It was all during different phases of my life and different um, responsibilities that I had at that point in time, which I found very interesting and and. Gave me, made me think about, do I have one gift? Do I have multiple gifts? Can the gifts change? And I would say it's possible to have multiple gifts, and I think your gifts can change depending on what God has for you to do at a certain time. Uh, it's up to him where he wants to put you and what he wants you to do, and I think he, he can change your gift. The uh, Bible doesn't say that you only have one, and it never says that you're going to be, be having, that, having one for the rest of your life. But I took the spiritual gift test, and you're all excited about that, and you find out that you have the gift of serving. That was not the one you wanted, because that dooms you to being a janitor for the rest of your life. Elizabeth, you must have the gift of serving. You might, by the way, just, just based on some things about you. Or maybe on the other hand, it's kind of like that lightsaber on Christmas morning. You got all hyped up about the gifts. You found out what gift you had, and it was kind of a letdown. It just wasn't as exciting as you thought it was going to be. It didn't really make that much of a difference. And you know you've got one somewhere, but, you know, really what good is it? It's just there. And if you've taken the test and somebody starts talking about gifts, you say, oh yeah, I remember I've got this one, but it's in the closet somewhere behind the coats and shoes. I don't don't know where it's at. But the reality is, the truth is, that God takes gifting very seriously. He spends, in 1 Corinthians, Paul spends three chapters of this letter a good chunk of his letter specifically addressing the issue of tongues and the spiritual gifts. And Ephesians, which is a kind of a summary statement of Romans, he talks about the gifts in there. And in Romans, he has a section right after he talks about being transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the renewing of your mind. The first thing he launches into to talk about 
the transformation that takes place in a Christian's life, he talks about the gifts. Peter writes to suffering Christians. And of all the topics that you would think he might not need to cover in in relation to suffering saints who are being persecuted, you would think maybe it's the gifts. But nope, Peter talks about it. He wants suffering Christians who are dying for their faith to know about the spiritual gifts. So God seems to think it's pretty important. He had the Holy Spirit inspire people to write these things down for us to know. And so it seems to me that as his children, um, and that's part of what I want you to see this morning. This is a good, kind, loving father who is saying, here, I have the perfect thing for you. Here it is. It's free. It's yours. And I've got really good stuff in store for you as it, as it takes place in your life, as you walk with the Holy Spirit. That's the way I want you to see this. Not as some detached God who talks about gifts in some strange way, but this is your Father giving something to you to help you live and serve Him, live for and serve Him. I think it's fitting that Paul begins his teaching on the gifts by saying in verse 1 of chapter 12, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. You're a messed up church. I've never understood why anyone would call their church Corinthian Baptist Church. Never understood that, or Corinthian whatever church. They're not an example of wonderful people. They are a messed up church. And to this messed up church, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant on this topic. This is too important. And we're going to spend a lot of time on it. These gifts are important because they help us live and function together as brothers and sisters in the family of God. As, as Paul talks about the gifts in Ephesians, he starts out right before that, he's talking about one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one Father. He's emphasizing unity, and then he comes to, and God gave apostles and prophets and pastor teachers the gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's crucial in relation to the unity of the body, the gifts are. They're crucial in relation to how we function in our service for God and doing the work that God has given us to do. So I think it's good for us as we consider the family of God, as we consider being brothers and sisters together, as we consider being the adopted children of God the Father, that we just look at a few foundational concepts that are found in the Bible. And again, we're not going to do a deep dive on this. We're not going to, we could spend a long time on the spiritual gifts. There's lots of books written out there on the spiritual gifts. And uh, I don't want to do that. 
And I'm not going to get into the weeds this morning of which gifts are for today. Um, I have friends, I'll say up front, I am what they call a cessationist. Uh, But I'm a squishy cessationist. Because uh, somebody has said to me, well, couldn't God give the gift of tongues to somebody in Africa if he wanted to so that the gospel could go forward? And my response is, God can do anything he wants to do. Uh, And he doesn't really care what my opinion is. He he never asks me. He should sometimes, I think. But he never asks me my opinion. God does what he wants to do. So if that means I'm a squishy cessationist, I'll be a squishy cessationist. But I do believe that certain gifts have ended. But I have good friends who are pastors in this city who don't believe that the gifts have ended. And they preach the gospel, and I recommend their churches to people. So for that, uh, I, I just, I'm not going to get into that. Um, I don't think that's important to what we need to talk about today. Instead, our focus this morning is going to be more on general concepts. And those general concepts are applicable, whatever one's view may be regarding the availability of spiritual gifts. I think it's an area where it's good for us to allow room for other people. Um, and I, I, uh, I think, though, it's, that there are things that are true regardless of what your view is on those, in, uh, on those issues. I want to begin with something that really should be obvious to all of us but it really seems to get lost in the discussion as people begin to talk about the spiritual gifts. And that thing that is obvious, or should be, is that you're not born with any spiritual gift. Now you say, well, that's a duh. Yeah, but we don't operate that way. You're not born with any spiritual gift. In modern language, we often speak of people who may be gifted musicians, right? Gifted athletes, gifted speakers. And when we use that kind of language, what we mean when we say that is that the person has exceptional abilities or talents in a particular area. Michael Jordan. For those of you who had the privilege of watching Michael Jordan play basketball, if you are interested in basketball at all, he was a gifted athlete. And I've heard people, I used to coach and I got a degree in physical education, I've heard people say that it was because of his hard work. He worked hard, no doubt. If you read about his routines and things, it was incredible. He'd be in the gym three hours, in the arena three hours before the game, practicing his shooting. But the reality is, There are people who could practice and practice and practice as much as Michael Jordan and not be able to do the things that Michael Jordan did. There were things that just happened that were spontaneous because he was a gifted athlete. He was a talented athlete. But that's not what the Bible means when it speaks of gifting. And I think that because we use that terminology in our culture, we kind of mash the two together, spiritual gifts and gifted ability. There is no spiritual gift of being an awesome basketball player. I wish there was because I'd have been praying for it a lot. But, but this Holy Spirit did not gift Michael Jordan with the spiritual gift of incredible dunks, incredible moves, 
It's a totally different category. According to the Apostle Paul, there are two kinds of people in this world. The natural man and the spiritual man. The natural person and the spiritual person. The natural person is one who is not a believer, one who has not trusted in Christ for acceptance with the Father. And the spiritual person is a believer. We find that in 1 Corinthians 2. And as a natural person, as we've talked about a lot, the natural person, the unbeliever, exists in opposition to God. He rejects the gospel. And this person may be very talented in certain areas, but since they are spiritually dead, they are only talented. You follow that? Does that make sense? They're only talented. On the other hand, the spiritual person may also be talented in certain areas. The spiritual person who has come to know Christ may have been born with certain talents. God may have given them certain talents in, in their, in their uh, uh, life experience for whatever purpose he has for them. There are very, very, very unsaved people who are incredible communicators. They do not have the gift of teaching. And that's where I think it starts to get, it starts to get messed up. Because and what we'll talk about here in a minute, what, what is, is that God gives these gifts to people for specific purposes, for specific work within the family of God. And we are usually looking for people who have natural talents for certain spheres of ministry. There are people who are naturally servants. But that doesn't mean it's their spiritual gift. In fact, if you are naturally a servant, you don't need the gift of serving. If you are naturally a people person who loves everybody who comes across your, your, your path, and you love talking to them, and you love getting to know them, you don't need the gift of hospitality. If you're a natural communicator who can just stand up and from the time you were a little kid, you were able to just speak freely and communicate things and hold people's interest and you grew up to be a great communicator, you don't need the gift of teaching. But again, there are unsaved people. There are people who are unbelievers who have those abilities, but they don't have a spiritual gift. On the other hand, there are people who have been made spiritually alive and their spiritual father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, has chosen a gift or he has chosen gifts that he gives them, that he gives to his children. And the reason I'm making the distinction on this is because it brings us to a critical idea that the gifts, spiritual gifts, are not 
natural, they're supernatural. Spiritual gifts are supernatural. They don't arise from within us who we are as people prior to salvation and in some way get enhanced by the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are something that are otherworldly, if you will. They are not my possession prior to salvation. They are something that comes to me as a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me and the Father telling the Holy Spirit, this is the gift for that person. And this is what I want you to produce in them. You follow me. And that is a critical concept because it, it leads us to a, uh, another, another aspect of something that we've been talking a lot. So the, the Holy Spirit, by the purpose of the Father, enables us to minister in the family of God for God's glory and others' good. And He does that because without that spiritual gifting, we are unable to accomplish what God has purposed for us in His family. Without that spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit, you cannot accomplish what God wants you to accomplish, what He's purposed for you. And that brings us back to that word that I've been saying over and over again this year, dependent, dependent, dependent. The whole life of the child of God is wrapped up in dependence upon the Father, dependence upon the Holy Spirit, dependence upon, the, on the, upon our brother Jesus. We can't do any of this. I can't live the Christian life. I cannot have the fruit of the Spirit. I cannot minister effectively in the way God desires me to minister without the Holy Spirit without his power, I am completely dependent upon him. Remember joy, love, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, all those fruit of the Spirit are not natural to us either. What's natural to us is anger and wrath. What's natural to us is sexual immorality. Those are all the things that list in Galatians that are natural to us. That's what we're born with. And I cannot be a person of love, just starting there. I cannot do that without the Holy Spirit's work in me. I cannot love other people. I don't know love until I know God. And I can't, I can't live out love. I can't live as a person of love without the Holy Spirit's work in me. That's Galatians 5. And the gifts are the same way. They're not natural to me. I'm not born with them. They are supernatural. And, and I am dependent upon them and upon the Holy Spirit for what God has me to do. Years ago when I was doing operations at the college, and I, I don't even know that that... I think the spiritual gifts tests are pretty hokey to begin with. That's my personal opinion. Um, I, a lot of those kinds of tests, if you're smart enough, you can figure out the answer that they're looking for. And, and I think that what they do is they, they measure your burden. 
so to speak. They, they, they identify what your passion is and, and what drives you. Um, but, but at the college, when I was in operations and managing the multiple departments, well, guess what my gift was on the spiritual tests? Gift of leadership, gift of administration. And then I started, I moved into the faculty and started teaching, and guess what my spiritual gift came out as? Gift of teaching. And then God was working in me, and, and I was considering leaving the college and going into the pastorate. That was a six-year process of the college. And, um, and so in that process, someone suggested I take a spiritual test again and see what God was doing. And lo and behold, guess what it was? The gift of Pastor Shepherd. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, so I, that's why one of the reasons I look at it and say I think it's kind of measuring where your burden is. But I, I, you know, I had an inter- interesting conversation with someone once who was a pastor at the time. And, and I, we were talking about spiritual gifts. This was, man, this is probably 25 years ago now. And I said, what, what do you think your gift is? And he said, it's got to be the gift of being a pastor, Pastor Shepherd. And I said, why do you think that is? He said, because I don't like people. And I don't, I don't like caring about other people's problems. But there's something in me that makes me care about people. There's something in me that makes me want to shepherd these people. And, and I thought, that, that was the first time that it began to dawn on me that maybe these gifts aren't what we think they are. And this guy, I thought, was, was very much a good shepherd, but he was identifying all the things that you wouldn't want in a pastor that were natural to him. And when people saw and said, he's a good pastor, he's a good shepherd, and he was a very good teacher too, but when they saw that he was a good pastor, I think what they were seeing was the gift of the Spirit, not what was natural to him. And that leads me to another aspect of this, that these gifts are, are, are how would I put this? So, so I'm, God, God says, this is what I want for you. This is, where, this is what I'm going to have you to do. That burden arises in you. And then he comes along and gives you, he fills a void, so to speak. And in doing so, his purpose is to manifest the Spirit. A dependence on the Spirit so that the Spirit can be manifested in a person's life. That's what Paul says here in verse 7, and I read this twice. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. I've met guys that when you talk to them one-on-one, they stammer and they stumble over their words and they, they struggle to communicate and they get up and they begin to speak God's word and it is just incredible. And you're sitting there going, I had students like this. You're sitting there thinking, this is like a different person. It is. You're watching the manifestation of the Spirit in their life. Because on their own, they're not good communicators. But when they stand up to talk about God's Word, the Holy Spirit is manifesting Himself in them and you're seeing the gift of teaching. And 
And I think this is, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that it appears even Jesus in his humanity as fully human was dependent upon the Holy Spirit for his power. And I believe that Jesus manifested not only the fruit of the Spirit in him, but the gifting of the Holy Spirit in him as well. He gave up the free exercise of his power and his attributes and functioned as fully human. He did only what the Father told him to do. And he, did, he said only what the Father told him to say. And I would say, at least suggest, that it's fully possible that when Jesus healed someone, it was the Holy Spirit healing that person through Jesus and the manifestation of the Spirit. And we have the gift of healing. I think it's at least worth thinking about. But if Jesus was praying to the Father, it wasn't just to give him a rundown on what happened during the day. He was praying to the Father, I believe, because he recognized his dependence upon the Father and he put himself in a position in which he relied on the Holy Spirit in the same way we are to rely on the Holy Spirit. A second concept, that was all one idea. A second concept is closely related to the first. The gifts are not intended for my personal benefit. I don't know where we got that idea. They're not intended for my personal benefit or for my personal glory, but for the benefits of others and the glory of God. Paul says, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you read all the writing about the gifts of the Spirit, you will not find a place where it speaks of them being for your benefit. It is the Holy Spirit working in us and through us for the benefit of others to manifest himself so that God is glorified and for the good of those around us. They're not for my benefit. Therefore, I am making a mistake when I believe that God has given me a gift solely for my own encouragement. The Spirit testifies in me that I am a son of God, but not, that's not connected to the gifts. The gifts are not for the manifestation of my spiritual condition. The gifts are for the manifestation of the Spirit and that he's present in me. In chapter 14 of Corinthians, which we didn't read, he writes that the gift of tongues is given, specifically that gift is given to individuals so that the church as a whole may be built up. He doesn't say that he's given the gift of tongues so that individual believers can be built up but there's an other's focus so that the church may be built up. Say, let's talk about that. Nope, we're not going to this morning. But later in the same chapter, he, he actually praises them for their good desire for the manifestation of the Spirit in their lives. He doesn't say, stop that. You're getting too whacked out on the Holy Spirit. So tone it back a bit, folks. 
And he doesn't say, stop wanting these really great gifts and go after serving, which is what I've heard a lot. He, he actually identifies that there are particular gifts that are, in God's eyes, are seen as more valuable or on a higher tier. And he says, go for it. Desire them. That's a good thing. But, he says, while you have that good desire for the manifestations of the, of the Spirit in your life, He commands them to excel in building up the church. He doesn't suggest it. He doesn't just say it. He says, I'm commanding you this. Build up the church. Excel. Succeed. Pursue building up the church. So it's great to pursue the higher gifts as long as you're pursuing it for the right reasons. To build up the church. What's our struggle? We get showy gifts and what do we do? (laughs) you poor servant people I got the good one you got the junk like Christmas I got the remote control car you got clothes I'm the good one you're the junk he said nothing wrong with you pursuing those gifts but when you if you get them if God grants that to you you understand why it's there not for you not for your glory you excel You go over the top at building up the church. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul speaks of gifts related to apostleship and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. Those are the upper tier gifts. And he says they exist so that others may learn how to do the work of the ministry. God gifts people in those areas specifically not so that they can be head honchos and not that they're even going to be leaders in the church, but so that they can teach others how to do the work of the ministry. In both of those passages, the focus, though, is not on the gifted individual. The focus ends up being on the outcome of the gifting. And the outcome of the gifting is a healthy, functioning body of Christ. And that would lead me to conclude that if what drives us is God's glory and others' good, which you hear me talking about a lot, if what drives us is God's glory and others' good, our focus will be less on the gifting and more on the ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So when we find ourselves talking all the time about the gifts and emphasizing the gifts and having the gifts so that we know what gift we have, but the church is not being built up with them, something went haywire in there. We missed the point. And did you notice in 1 Corinthians 12 as Paul was going through that that not all are given the same gift? That should be one of those obvious ones too. Not all have the same gift and not all are intended to have the same gift. There's no point in everybody having the same gift. He uses the illustration of what if the whole body were the eye? What if the whole body were the ear? 
It would be weird if we had a big eyeball sitting here and we had, and that was it, really. Or we had a whole, a whole room full of eyeballs sitting in the thing staring. I'd be creepy and I wouldn't come back again. Or we had ears laying on all the chairs here because everybody's an ear. Or a foot. Or a whole room full of bowels. Of course, we'd have them all covered up because they're not presentable. So as one bowel to another, I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you. You know, that could be the sermon. And it sounds ridiculous when we use it that way, but then we have well-meaning people who are running around telling everyone that they need to speak in the gift of tongues. And that until you speak in the gift of tongues, there's no evidence that you're a believer. I don't know where that comes from. It's not from 1 Corinthians 12 or anywhere else. Because that's exactly what Paul is arguing against because that's exactly what was going on in Corinth. Whether or not a person can speak in tongues today, we're off base when we're saying everybody should be speaking in tongues. And we're really off base if there's not an interpreter. Because Paul really hammers in on that one in 1 Corinthians 14. To insist that any gift is something that all should have is to argue with our Father's design and purpose. It's to say, God, you're wrong. And you, you, you're not doing the right thing here. But having said that, it's also true that all of God's children are given a gift or gifts because all have a role in the ministry of the church. Every single believer sitting here this morning has a gift or gifts. Because every single believer sitting here this morning has a ministry that God has for them to do within this family. No one is left out in the gifting since God has chosen all who are his children to participate in the functioning of the body. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a ministry. God chose you to be his child. He chose you to be part of a local family. And he has chosen you to have some ministry within that local family. And he is gifting you. He has gifted you for that ministry. Now, one of the things I love about Northbrook is that if you go through the directory, if you know everything that people do, you will find that almost every member, and I I say almost because I don't want somebody to come back and say, well, there's this one, but I, I, just about every person has some ministry that they're doing within this church family. That is rare. And it's a wonderful thing. And a lot of it, by the way, is behind the scenes that you don't know. And every once in a while, I find out things that I didn't know, which is often the way it should be. But everybody has a ministry, and everybody has, therefore, a gift. 
And God sees that as a vital aspect of the ministry to fulfill. One of the things that Paul touches on here in chapter 12, when he talks about all the eye or all the ear, he also says that the eye should not be saying, I have no need of the hand. And the hand, I'll take it further, shouldn't be saying, I have no need of the fingernail on my pinky finger. And, and the hand shouldn't be saying, I'm tired of the bowels. I'm crude enough, I just got to keep talking about the bowels this morning. But if you've ever had your bowels stop up, you find out how valuable your bowels are to your body. And if you've ever had the opposite end of the spectrum, you, you find out how important those bowels are to run healthy. You don't think about them the rest of the time unless you're... 80 years old sitting in a nursing home and you have nothing else to talk about. Then you talk about your bowels all the time. But otherwise, you're just not thinking about it. But they're there functioning. And they're covered up. And nobody sees them, thankfully. And there's a lot of people, you say, I don't want to be a bowel in the church. Well, they're really necessary. And they do a lot of important work so that all the rest of the body can function. Every ministry that God has for his children, every part of it is valuable, whether or not it's seen by others, whether or not it's on the platform or not. And I want to say for those of you who are behind the scenes and you're constantly doing things behind the scenes, I thank you. I'm very grateful for you because this place can't function. And I say place, I mean this family cannot function without you. And in many ways, the, the, the teachers and the leaders can come and go with the bowels that carry it on from person to person, from leader to leader. Let me say this last thing here and then I'll be done. I've heard people say over, over the years, for some reason, this has crossed my path more times than I like. But I've heard people say, well, I have the gift of teaching. But there aren't any teaching positions available. So I really don't have anything to do. You know, and that view would imply that God is just a little bit off his game. He gave you a completely useless and unnecessary gift in the family. And maybe the truth is that God didn't give you the gift of teaching. It's just what you want to do. And he's actually gifted you for something else, for another ministry that no one's ever going to see you doing. That's why I don't like the spiritual gifting tests. People take the test and then it's like, okay, I got this gift now. Where am I going to go with this gift? No. Let's get to, I'm a child of God. He put me in this family, and what can I do? What can I do? And whatever he has for me to do, he's going to gift me to do it. So let's get to it. What is it? Let's go. That's the perspective we should have. If he's given you the gift of teaching and there's no ministry for that in the church, then go disciple somebody. Who's it going to be? Pick them. Pick a teen and start mentoring them. 
walking with them and encouraging them. I'm going to go off on trail here for a second. Statistics show, and this just came out recently, statistics show that the kids who stay with the church long term as adults are the kids who were mentored by an adult who was not their mother or father. Can you do that? Doesn't require a lot of preparation. It's a bowels thing. What would our church families look like if instead of waiting to be encouraged, we looked for people to be to encourage? If instead of wishing the church had fill-in-the-blank ministry, people just offer to start and lead that ministry. If you think the church needs a nursing home ministry, let me know. And like I said last week, or two two weeks ago, I'm going to probably say, what do you need? Maybe we need to consider that if God is giving us a burden for something at Northbrook, that, that Northbrook would have something it might be that he also wants us to pursue it, and he might want us to pursue it alone. God, you know, we need, I remember at a previous church when I, was, I wasn't a pastor, but there was this guy who had a burden for evangelism, and he wanted to start a door-to-door knocking program, and, and we were just like, okay, go ahead. And he said, are you guys going to be there? Probably not, because the day you're going to go is the day we need to be with our families. Well, then you're not for it. Sure. We said, go ahead. Go. We'll make announcements. But don't judge people if they don't want to go with you because not everybody is gifted to be knocking on people's doors. Go do it. Ultimately, he did. Ultimately, people joined him and God used it. But what's What's the ministry he has for you? And trust him that he will gift you to do that. Ending here. You were chosen by God. You're adopted by God. You're being transformed into the image of Jesus by God. And you are empowered with spiritual gifts by God. And in that, I want to leave you with this. It seems to me that he must love you a lot chosen, adopted, empowered, transformed. So if he loves you that much, how about a radical idea of not only thanking him for that, but saying, what do you want me to do? Dad. What can I do? Dad. Let's go. And let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for that you have chosen us in eternity past. You have adopted us through Jesus Christ. You are transforming us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you are enabling us to do the ministry that you have for us through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to get past I can't do that. To understand 
that you may have called us to do that and you will give us the power to do that. In your son's name, amen.